You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Herhusky Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB News Director Kate Young speaks with Kate Galvin, Artistic Director at Cardinal Stage, about the upcoming Frog and Toad program that will take place later this month. More coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, watch out for Level 3 on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on the WFHB Local News. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, December 1st. I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. Last month, WFHB reported on a routinely conducted firefighter training exercise that involved the burning of an old Bloomington home and resulted in toxic chemicals entering the area and landing in neighbors' backyards. There is an update to this story, with Bloomington officials, including the Monroe County Health Department, concluding that the ash and other debris did not have unacceptable levels of lead, and thus were not in direct violation of state environmental standards. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management defines harmful levels of lead to be higher than 400 parts per million, and none of the debris was found to exceed 200 parts per million. The Fire Department and the Monroe County Health Department are partnering together to offer blood tests to any citizens who are still concerned about the contamination. The Alligator Snapping Turtle found throughout many parts of the Midwest and Southeastern United States, might possibly receive new protections due to their endangered status. Once abundant, over the last few years, there has been an increase in the destruction of the turtle's habitat, and people have begun hunting them in larger numbers for their shells, which can sell for a lot of money on the wildlife market. This species is particularly vulnerable due to its reproductive habits, as females cannot lay eggs until they are at least 12 years old, and they only mate once a year. The Fish and Wildlife Service is looking for public input on the decision to increase protections for the alligator snapping turtle through January 2022. When buying milk, most Americans primarily purchase it in plastic jug containers and occasionally in milk cartons. However, other countries such as Canada have switched to primarily purchasing bagged milk. A recent study from The Conversation, a scientific magazine, has sought to determine which container is the most environmentally friendly. Their research found that milk jugs and cartons require the greatest energy consumption through the production of plastic and paper, while milk bags require less energy due to being very compact. As many countries seek to reduce single-use plastic, it is possible that the United States could experience this change and have all of our milk be found in bags. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel.
On November 22nd, the Ellettsville Town Council met to discuss joining the 1977 Police Officers and Firefighters Retirement Fund. Council members said this plan would help recruit new staff members and wouldn't cost the town much more than it already spends. Fire Chief Mike Kornman explained what the change would entail and who it would concern. Uh, the resolution before you tonight uh, would allow new employees of the police and fire department uh, and select current employees to participate in the police and firefighters public employee retirement fund, uh, PERF, commonly referred to as the 1977 plan or shorten up the 77 plan. Uh, this would offer the employees a higher yield on their investment and for retirement, plus added security in case of a catastrophic illness or injury uh, that current PERF does not offer. So that's uh, the, the crux of it. Uh, currently, uh, police officers and firefighters uh, collectively with Social, Social Security and uh, PERF pay between 21.6 and 21.7 uh, of the salaries to go into that. With the uh, new uh, PERF, the 77 plan, that would go up to between 24.8, 24.9%. Uh, we'd have to go into the retirement fund, therefore the higher yield also. Uh, but they would not pay into Social Security from the town's behalf. So that was the, uh, um, that's the crux of the uh, resolution to move ahead. We've attempted this back in 2000 and kind of half-heartedly a few times in the last uh, 10 years. Um, and I think this is a good idea. We can't get everybody in. It was a cost prohibitive, uh, let alone years of service, uh, hard to attain for some of the members. But I think this is a good thing moving forward as the town grows as a, a better uh, retirement system. Council member Scott Oldham supported the switch to the 77 plan. However, he had a few concerns. I guess it's not really an issue, but just for, for those that choose to go into 77 to be aware of that particularly those that are already in the current plan and would choose to like to go to 77 as opposed to new hires. They need to be cognizant of that and probably should be doing some calculation with the financial advisor to see where they come out better. Because I would really hate for some of these guys that are on the younger end of the scale, but currently on the old plan to essentially forego benefits that they're currently entitled to that they will not get later. No matter how much you pay into Social Security later, you're only going to get a very small percentage back under the 77 plan as opposed to what you're currently under. With that said, I think this is a movement that needs to happen uh, for a variety of different reasons. Um, however, I guess I am concerned and or just frankly unwilling to support the fact that new hires get a choice or that we make a choice for new hires. We need to just make a clean break and begin every new hire has to fit 77 because I really don't want to get into liability down the road where they didn't pass the 77 physical and or mental, but we hired them anyways. And then something went catastrophically wrong years down the road that would have been caught by the 77 pension fund mental and physical exams. And then the town winds up being liable either to somebody else that the employee was somehow or another involved with or hurt or the employee themselves because we didn't keep the same standards for every employee from this point forward. Town manager Mike Farmer agreed the change would be beneficial for employees and employers and suggested that individuals meet with a financial advisor before making an official decision to ensure they are making the right choice for their specific situation. I like what you said about making sure everybody knows where they're at going into this and 
they probably ought to <clears throat> look at some personal um, advice from their accountant or a professional finance person. So, uh, you know, it just needs to be looked at. But um, I also like the idea that everybody moving forward that comes in would be part of the plan. Council member Sandra Hash elaborated on the differences between this plan and the current plan. The current plan allows for you to draw your PERF retirement and Social Security. We pay in Social Security their whole um, career. Okay. But the, yeah, the 77 plan, of course, then we stop paying Social Security and they, uh, we would not pay into that fund for them at all. We do still pay Medicare. Oldham added that the town would need to join the plan sooner or later. It's a step that needs to happen. You know, eventually you're going to have to do it uh, as the town begins to grow further um, to get both groups onto the same plan. Um, and quite frankly, the biggest selling point of the plan is stability uh, because the plan is incredibly well run and incredibly well funded. And it's also for the town, the protection of the incredibly rigorous physical and mental tests that have to be done before you can even get into it. Um, they flag a lot of things that uh, people don't even know exist and they make sure that everything's taken care of. Cities are required to join the plan as the town grows. So Oldham said Ellettsville will have to follow suit eventually. The council voted unanimously to join the 1977 police and firefighter retirement and disability plan. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on December 1st, Board of Health Director Penny Cottle updated the commissioners on the Omicron variant preparation. Uh, with the identification of Omicron, the new variant of concern, I know that there are many, many questions about that, and we don't have many answers for that right now. We are waiting to get more details and information as our scientists are looking at that and trying to get those answers for us. But there are some things that we do know. We know that vaccination is still needed. We know that wearing your mask is still needed. Uh, washing your hands, keeping your hands away from your face, uh, staying home if you're sick, if you have a fever, you're symptomatic, you've been diagnosed. Uh, following quarantine guidelines. If you are unvaccinated and you're in close contact, stay home. Um, if you are vaccinated and you're a close contact, you do not have to quarantine, but you still need to monitor and it's advised that you get tested after day five, probably between day five and seven is ideal. The more the virus circulates, the greater the ability to mutate into new variants and the greater the risks that eventually our vaccines will not be as protective as they currently are. We don't need to let that happen. And we have ways around that and it's vaccination. Monroe County Prosecuting Attorney Erica Oliphant presented a one-time federal grant that would give Adult Protection Services staff members a bonus for their work during the pandemic. She said that amidst the quarantine, Adult Protective Services staff still conducted home visits during a time without personal protection equipment and vaccinations. Adult Protective Services staff only conducted a few home visits, but at that time, personal protective equipment was not widely available. There were many unknowns about COVID-19. There was no vaccine available. And many of the potential endangered adults are high risk, as are some of the staff in my adult services. 
The end of quarantine did not signal the end of stress regarding known and unknown risks associated with COVID-19. Adult Protective Services staff could not get vaccinated until February of 2021, meaning that for nearly a year, the investigators and the director were in close contact with people during home visits with little protection from infection. Uh, adult Protective Services staff had to make phone calls and complete paperwork associated with services and benefits for our endangered adults and those under investigation that they would not normally be responsible for uh, because some of our partner agencies were not operating at the same capacity or with the same procedures as they normally do. The increased risk of the jobs combined with the increased tasks and responsibilities, all of which are direct results of COVID-19 pandemic, have caused low morale and feelings of burnout among our small staff. Commissioner Penny Githens said that she was appreciative the staff continued to work under the stressful conditions. Now, I'm just really thankful that the staff continued to take care of the, such a vulnerable population. Um, they, I feel like they deserve this. The county commissioners unanimously voted to approve the federal grant. The next county commissioners meeting will be held on December 8th. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Kate Young speaks with Kate Galvin, Artistic Director at Cardinal Stage, about the upcoming Frog and Toad program that will take place later this month. Galvin talks about her experience directing the show, some COVID-19 safety guidelines, and the pay-what-you-will model that Cardinal has adopted in light of recent financial hardships exacerbated by the pandemic. We turn to Kate Young for more. Well, Kate Galvin, Artistic Director for Cardinal Stage, welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thank you. So Cardinal Stage will present a year with Frog and Toad from December 21st to January 2nd. So first off, would you just walk me through your role as Artistic Director for Cardinal Stage? Sure. Um, as the artistic director of the organization, one of my primary jobs is to select the shows that we are going to be producing each year. And then I also am in charge of staffing each of those shows, deciding what directors and choreographers and music directors and actors we're going to be working with on those projects. Um, I also am responsible for directing a few shows every year. And so Frog and Toad is one of the shows that I'm directing this season. Well, awesome. Well, we really appreciate you, you know, having you here and, you know, giving your insight into this upcoming program. So moving back to the upcoming show, would you touch on what the Frog and Toad show means to families here in South Central Indiana? Cardinal does a musical that is appropriate for families every year at the holidays. And Frog and Toad was, in fact, the first musical that we did in this slot in our season, this holiday slot, many years ago. 
Cardinal celebrating its 15th anniversary this year, so we thought it would be appropriate to bring it back. And this is just a really sweet and really well-written piece that both children and adults can enjoy. But we don't produce this show every year. We've done other other musicals in recent holidays. Um, we did Newsies in 2019. We did Beauty and the Beast the year before that. So we do we do different projects every year, but Frog and Toad is something that Cardinal has produced about every five years. And, you know, it just really brings people together and audiences of all ages just love these characters and love this show. So the show will take place at the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater, but the pay what you will model will still be offered. Would you explain what this model means and how it's sort of leveled the playing field when it comes to providing families with an affordable option to see theater productions here in town? Yes, that was definitely the goal. You know, we know that everyone has gone through a really rough um, period in the last year and a half, and a lot of people's financial circumstances have changed. So we, as we are coming back to in-person production, really wanted to make it very easy for anyone who wants to come to the theater to be able to enjoy live theater. And so um, we are using this season what we're calling a pay-what-you-will a uh, ticket pricing model, which means that the audience members, the patrons, get to decide what they want to pay for their ticket. Um, now, in the case of Frog and Toad, we do have um, certain seats in the theater, which are priced at our regular full price rate, but most of the seats in the theater are available at the pay what you will price, which means you can decide what uh, you can afford and what is meaningful for you. The COVID-19 pandemic certainly impacted theater performances in a variety of ways. So would you talk about how Cardinal Stage has fared through this COVID-19 pandemic as a whole? Yeah, it's been a real challenge. We didn't produce any live theater really last year at all. We did a lot of virtual programs. And so we were constantly innovating and creating and doing things for the first time. We had to really kind of adapt what we were doing to create theatrical opportunities that were safe for people before we had vaccines. So we last year we did a number of programs online. We in fact shot essentially a, a movie musical all remotely last winter, which was really cool. And we also did some audio drama. We did some radio plays that people were able to, they were site-specific radio plays that people could download and then walk around town on a, a designated route and listen to the show, which took place in Bloomington as they walked along the route. So that was really fun and, and something different for us. So there were things about last year that were really exciting in terms of stretching us to um, new limits creatively in terms of what we were capable of doing and, and what sort of skills we needed to deliver theater to people in new ways. But we're really happy to be back to producing in person. Now, you know, we are we are producing more traditionally with the caveat that we have a ton of like safety and health protocols in place for our actors, our creative teams, our crew to make sure that we are keeping everybody safe and healthy during the process. Yeah. And that's a great segue to my next question. You know, while we're on the topic of COVID, would you just walk our listeners through some of the COVID-19 safety guidelines you have put in place ahead of the show? Sure. For Frog and Toad um, at the BCT, we 
the BCT normally seats uh, over 500 people, and we have really cut down the capacity um, and spaced the audience out. We know that there's going to be a lot of kids coming to the show. They won't necessarily have been vaccinated yet. So we wanted, pardon me, to provide that extra layer of safety with socially distanced seating for families with young children um, who are coming to the show. So um, everyone in the audience will be required to wear masks. And um, they will also, people who are 12 and older, when they come to the theater, they're going to have to show proof of vaccination or a recent negative test for anyone who's 12 and older. That's going to get checked at the door when you arrive at the theater along with your tickets. Anyone who's under 12, we are not requiring proof of vaccination or a negative test. But again, all of those kids will need to be masked and everyone will be seated in this socially distanced fashion. Well, the show is obviously based on the Arnold Lobel books, and the theme of those books emphasizes the importance of friendship. So if I could ask a more personal question, what is your favorite part of the Frog and Toad books or perhaps the adaption of those books for the theater? Oh, that's a great question. You know, what I love about these books is that they sort of model what a good relationship looks like, whether that is a close friendship or a romantic partnership, like Frog and Toad are really, they're very close friends and they don't always get along, but they love each other and they always find a way through their difficult times. And and that might mean like letting things slide when one, you know, if, if Frog's bothering Toad or vice versa. Like, I think they really show us a very sort of human and complex relationship where it's not just like magic and flowers all the time. You know, they they have some struggles and they they sort of complement each other in a beautiful way so that together they're a stronger unit than they are apart. Absolutely. I love that. Now, would you just touch on like how you were able to adapt those books for the stage? This musical is written by a team of brothers named Robert Real and Willie Real, and um, they wrote the music book and lyrics for this show. And Arnold Lobel's daughter is the person who sort of initiated turning the Frog and Toad books into a stage musical. And her father loved sort of old old musicals and sort of the world of vaudeville. And so when she went to this writing team, she really wanted them to capture that sort of like classic musical theater, like Broadway jazzy sound. And they've just done a tremendous job with that. It's a great score. All the tunes are really catchy. They stick in your head. You'll go home humming them. And we, for this production, are, are sort of leaning into the world of vaudeville as a lens through which to kind of create our production. So we're we're doing some fun things with puppetry and there'll be some specialty dancing and things like that that are going to sort of bring bring that world to life. Well, I really appreciate all your insight and uh, speaking with you today. Kate, those are all the questions I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the the last word. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to add to our WFHB listeners before we say our goodbyes? Just encouraging people to come to the theater. It's 
it's going to be a really wonderful way to spend the holidays. This is a really sweet show that will just put a smile on your face and uh, a great way to spend an afternoon with your family. Well, Kate Galvin, Artistic Director for Cardinal Stage, thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Thank you so much for having me. Up next, watch out for Level 3 on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on the WFHB Local News. Host Richard Fish says a friend was victimized by a Level 3 attack, and he discovered two very shady companies with Level 3 in their names. Fish gives a warning about this dangerous level. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. A friend of mine, who shall remain nameless because he really should have known better, recently fell for a scam email. It said that the Norton Cybersecurity Company had charged him almost 400 bucks to renew his subscription. Problem was that he wasn't running any Norton software on his computer. Our friend made the mistake of responding to the email. What he should have done, of course, is to go directly to the Norton Company, find their real website by typing in Norton.com, and call or email them to ask about this charge. Instead, he followed the instructions in the email and was connected to a person who was sympathetic, apologetic, and malignant. This crook talked him out of all the personal information that was needed to verify the account and remove the charge. Of course, he should never have emailed any of that information. Sure enough, just a little while later, our friend suddenly found that he couldn't log into his bank account. Now he did something right. He immediately got in his car and drove to his bank, being lucky that this happened when the bank was open. He explained that he was being hacked, and fortunately the bank was able to stop the hack and keep his money from being stolen. But now he has all new accounts and new passwords. Plus, because he was connected to the grifters online, his computer was hacked, and he was again lucky to have an IT expert friend who was immediately available and managed to recover a lot of data when even the computer's manufacturer said it couldn't be done. I'm told the IT expert called it a Level 3 attack. And when I did a little searching, I discovered that Level 3 has a bad name in cyberspace. The term is used to describe a sophisticated and complex threat, like the one that almost ruined my friend. But there are at least two companies out there with Level 3 in their name, which have nasty reputations. Level 3 Communications, LLC, is based in Houston, Texas, and the Better Business Bureau reports over 6,000 complaints in the last three years. In one case, the victim got a voicemail saying she needed to call a number and give updated address information so her husband could receive a summons to appear in court. If you think about it for a moment, you can see how ridiculous that is. 
Then there's Level 3 funding in Miami, Florida. The Ripoff Report and the Yelp website both have a list of angry complaints about Level 3 funding, making repeated phone calls from different numbers, hiring people to work remotely and not paying them, being extremely rude and giving callers the runaround. Reaching Level 3 may be a positive achievement if you're playing a video game, but in real life, not so much. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Nathaniel Weinzapfel and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Herhusky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Hearabouts, Asian American Midwest Radio. Coming up next on WFHB. WFHB.